everybody. How's it going? Uh, with those words of wisdom, we enter into today's podcast from the Teacher's Lounge, the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge, where we try to keep you connected to Israel and give you some insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, who currently has a really annoying cold. And you may hear that, and sorry about that. I am here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going great, Mike. And very exciting. Drumroll, who's back? We haven't had him in way too long. Benji, what's doing? It's good to be back. Yeah, where were you, man? You know, around the way. Just got to schedule this uh, around my schedule. All right, fair enough. Uh, get lost on the way to the meeting place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, FYI, we were supposed to do this last week, and Mike couldn't locate one of the most easily uh, locatable buildings in all of Jerusalem, the Wolfson Towers, which are towers on one of the main drags connecting, you know. Because I asked my boss to send me a Waze point, which he sent somewhere in the middle of an Arab neighborhood in South Jerusalem. Yeah, I mean, you expected Alan to be able to do that. I think it's probably easier for you to just driven there by yourself than expecting Alan to do the ways point. Or, yeah. Or you maybe should just get the hint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what can you do? Uh, but that was going to be for this episode, so here we go. And and what we, we mentioned previously, that what we wanted to talk about this week are the uh, the the rumors we are now hearing of an uptick in, in, in moving forward with some sort of Israeli-Palestinian negotiation through the Trump administration, that Jared Kushner is running around the region, that there's pressure being put on the Palestinians, pressure being put on the Israelis. What, what rumors are, 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 are we hearing about this new peace push? Uh, well, I guess you have to really put it in the context always of every new presidency or even if it's in the middle, like the new four-year ones, is always a push for some kind of Israeli-Palestinian um, peace that they're going to solve, you know, Middle East peace because that is seen as the uh, what's that word that the turnkey or something of uh, of Middle East peace. Um, and this administration has said we're going to do it differently than every other administration. Uh, in the big uh, um, news conference way back in the beginning of the Trump administration with with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Trump declared. Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it doesn't matter, whatever whatever those sides want, that's going to be a thing. We're not going to pressure from above, we're going to do what the, both sides want. That was Kilu Hizmai. And then since then, we know there's been a lot of things happening on the ground, sort of hidden out of things, but there's been a lot of, I don't know if you'd call it shuttle diplomacy, I guess we have to, that's something that when it becomes out, more out in the open, we'll know. But there's certainly been a lot of activity, not only with Jared Kushner, but also with uh, Jason Greenblatt, who was a special advisor on it, another American Orthodox Jew, David Freeman, another Orthodox American Jew who's the ambassador to Israel. Um, and it seems like there's something coalescing between around – it sounds like it's a lot to do with Netanyahu's plan of getting the Saudis very involved um, and, and making it a wider – uh, I guess, uh, Sunni uh, project, Saudi, Egypt, Jordan, what have you. What do you think, Benj? So I actually think um, that the Trump peace plan is going to be a plan without peace. Um, I think if the Trump administration is all about nonconformity and a non-traditional White House in, in so many different ways, um, 
why not apply it to something which for the last 50 years, pretty much the international community has been trying to do pretty much the same thing. Uh, they might talk about it differently, and it really hasn't worked. So what if he comes out and says, okay, clearly the, the Gulf states and the Saudis and Israel, they're all kind of getting along against Iran, and they can do this. They can have some sort of security arrangements, and they're clearly working together, uh, even if not publicly, although we're seeing more public um, you know, coordination. What if we can just say, okay, if the Israelis and the Arabs and the Gulf states and then the moderate Sunni um, states – what if uh, they're working together can essentially be the same model that we can have on the local level between the Israelis and the Palestinians and simply just to agree that peace is never going to happen, um, you know, and we can end this conflict through actual coordination um, some sort of way. But I guess I'm already starting to criticize myself. I would say, but isn't that kind of happening now? Well, what you're talking about is can can you establish within the Arab world open recognition, and then the Palestinian world becomes part of that framework. There isn't Israel's not recognized. No. So I'm actually saying that open recognition might never happen, and that the Trump way of doing it is like, look, you guys are already getting along well. Like you're working together. Like why can't Israel work together in this type of capacity? Um, you know, with the Palestinians, and just say, okay, they're not going to recognize you. You're not going to recognize them. Um, but just make this work um, and use this kind as a as in the regional model of a non peace plan, but coordination. If that could work on the local level, I mean, this is me conspiracy theorying up the wazoo. But BB talks about the regional stuff. The regional stuff is actually happening now, but it doesn't seem like that's ever going to actually lead to diplomatic relations between Israel and most of the members of the Arab League, even if they cooperate together. Uh, and the cooperation continues. I just don't ever see that see that happening. Well, ever is a long time. In our, I don't know, in my imagination. But once again, I haven't lived so long. I mean, we're, we're talking on two fronts now. We're talking about Israel in the Middle East region with the Sunni governments and Israel with the Palestinians. The, the, the Trump administration is putting pressure in particular on the Palestinians and the Israelis to sit down and, and solve their problem. What, what, what exactly did they do with the Palestinian, whatever you call their building in Washington? There was a threat to close their, it's not an embassy because they don't have a state, but it's a, what is it? It's like a diplomatic, diplomatic office. office. Diplomatic mission. And they threatened to close it. And they didn't, but they are threatening to put other restrictions on it. It's just... It's the same with uh, the Taylor Force Act that seems like it's never going to make it through Congress. Uh, it's the same. Explain. Taylor Force Act is that because the Palestinian Authority transfers um, large amounts of its budget to families of terrorists and terrorists sitting in prison and once they get out of prison, um, that it would withhold funding from the Palestinian Authority. But then, you know... Taylor Force Act named for? Uh, an American 29-year-old student from Vanderbilt that was killed in a terrorist attack two years ago in Jaffa. Um, as a part of the, the stabbing intifada. Um, but the Israelis are, you know, they don't say this publicly, but are, are skeptical of that law because if the Palestinian Authority doesn't receive help from the United States and it ceases to exist, then who takes over the power vacuum in the West Bank? So you kind of have this damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario, which is um, the conflict's not going to end if the people that we're supposed to negotiate with give away... Uh, 
around 10%, I don't know the exact number, but a good amount of their budget to people that commit terrorist attacks on their families, which essentially is a motivation in that society because it's a good financial incentive to commit a terrorist attack against Israelis or Jews or Americans or whoever. But at the same time, that authority, the Palestinian authority, um, you know, they're the only ones that we can actually coordinate with and we do coordinate with them. But what if they stop receiving the money they know they can't hold on to power, and Hamas uh, has a successful coup in the Palestinian autonomous areas of the West Bank, like they did in the Gaza Strip, and then they're two miles away from our only international airport. That seems to be a way worse scenario. So, are you arguing that the Trump administration is accurately reading the region, and they're not actually working for a peace plan, even though they're calling it a peace plan, because you don't believe that a two-state solution is in the making? That the Trump administration realizes this and is just trying to make the status quo more functional. It's really hard to say that the Trump administration can manage anything as based on, you know, what you're seeing on the headlines, like especially domestically. I mean, they can't get a bill passed in Congress. Um, But in terms of what's going on here in the Middle East, I mean, it seems that the Sunni Gulf states are very pleased with the Trump administration and they like, you know, what he has to say to them and how he allows them to maneuver. And at the same time, I think Israel is also correct. And moderation in Saudi Arabia is amazing considering the fact that you had eight years of Obama pressuring them, moderate, moderate, reform, reform. And they're like, sorry, dude, don't tell us what to do. And now Trump comes here, is like, speaks to them and is like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. As long as you jail all the... <laughs> no, I mean, more than I mean, we Trump, it, Trump, Trump is like uh, in uh, isolationist par excellence, no? I mean, that's part of the idea is let, let them work it out themselves. You know, let the region... America doesn't want to be the policeman anymore. It doesn't want to get involved. So Saudi Arabia... You want to, you know, you want to jail all of your, you know, upper government officials? Go for it. Well, I think I think that that his isolationism, ironically, is not very different than the Obama administration's leading from behind. In other words, we want to withdraw from this region and let them take care of themselves. So, while well, Benji's right that there's, but the Obama administration, in my opinion, misreading of you know trying to warm up to Iran's essentially change them. Uh, you know, that was a bad idea and it did not work. And so Trump is listening to who are supposed to be his allies in the region. And what are his allies saying? Iran is the bad guy. Iranian access through Syria and Lebanon would be really bad for American interests in the region. He's letting those people, he's letting them lead. Okay, Alan asked, uh, this was the first time that Alan didn't lead into the microphone. Mike and I have a bet how many times Alan will fail to be heard because he's not leading into the microphone. That's number one. I said three to five. Mike said two to three. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'll bang the next one. Okay. <laughs> no, the, it comes down to is that um, Trump accepts um, the the Gulf Israeli thesis that Iran is the menace and they need to be stopped. And what he's saying... So what is he doing about it? He withdraws and lets Russia come in and... Well, Russia, right, 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 but... And Russia's putting Assad in and Assad's a puppet of Iran. I know, but then at the other... I'm not... By the way, I'm not a advocate of the Trump administration, nor was I a voter, nor do I think they do much good. However... That was me getting no, a little too personal. Anyway, no, but I think you're being very clear in, in your assessing. You're, you're, you're just calling balls and strikes. You're not, you're not no, endorsing or unendorsing. No, no, but, so, right. So then what you just both said, and Alan, you leaned at the microphone very well in saying it, um, was right. That's he one, can be taught. No, that's one of the 
the consequences of Trump stepping back. But another consequence has been, I think, that the, the Gulf states and the Saudis and the Israelis have kind of been able to form their own coalition and do things their way. So you have the pluses and you have the minuses. I would argue that that's also a product of the Obama administration stepping back, leaving this vacuum in the Sunni world and the Israeli world. And they're saying, oh, man, we better take care of ourselves because these Americans don't know what they're doing. And Trump coming in and saying, I'm really your friend. I'm going to let you continue you doing what you're doing and build it on your own. And that creates this atmosphere of, okay, so if I have all my allies lined up in a row against Iran, then I have an opportunity to make the Saudis and the Israelis closer. And the Saudis are saying, well, we could consider, we as we moderate, we could consider to be more open in our relationship with Israel if they're willing to be active players helping us with the Iranians. So how much do you think also this plays into the Palestinians? Like Palestinians is always a sticker in the Arab world. Like it's a and that's that's sort of and the question is where do you put the leverage? Do you put the leverage on moving the Saudis and the Israelis closer together to help the solve the Palestinian problem, or do you resolve the Palestinian problem as a way to get the Saudi Arabians? more on board. I mean, it sounds like the Saudi Arabians don't care about Palestinian problem. No, they, they may not, but it's always part of the deals, no, right? They're never going to come to, that's what I'm saying, they're not going to come out and be Zionists or have a peace plan and have open recognition of Israel because they, they can't because of the Palestinian issue, but they can do so much in coordinating with Israel against what both Israel and the Saudis really care about, which is Iran, and not Palestinian stone throwers and Qabron. Look, Sadat said it was a, it was a, it was a prerequisite of peace. Exactly. With Egypt. And then when push came to shove and he got the Sinai, it was not a prerequisite of peace. As long as there was a statement in there somewhere that eventual autonomy would be so part he of it. He gave up on the Palestinians pretty quickly at Camp David. That's essentially a give up, I think. I agree. But it but again, it's a, it, there has to be like a – I'm not disagreeing with you guys. And sir, I'm just saying there has to be some kind of nod towards the Palestinian issue within any Arab countries discussions with Israel. Same thing with Jordan, when the Jordan peace plan, right? There was the, you know, Jordan withdrew any claims to the West Bank. and uh, There has to be some symbolic yeah. statement or progress that, al- that gives them the face-saving ability to open their relationship with Israel. I think you said that in a much better way, yes. <laughs> I think it's just all about power. Like you talked about the, the Obama administration, you know, comes back or sorry, they, they leave, and the Saudis are like, okay, well, we need to find more power, and we need to align ourselves with another power. Well, if you want to go back to the power argument, that a lot of it has to do with the Bush administration taking away the power that was blocking Iran, which was Iraq, and that allows Iran to raise in power, which now makes Saudi Arabia have to create to raise its power in order to hold off Iranian Shia dominance of the region. Russian. Russian. And Russia, Russia choosing which side it wants to go through in order to dominate the region as a uber power. I don't know whether you want to call them a superpower or not, but they're certainly a big power in the region these days. Regional player, yeah, major regional players. Yeah, they decide they'll go through the Shia world, and that leaves the Western powers working through the Sunni world, and we both wandering into the chaos of a region that they don't really have a firm grasp on, which always goes well. Like in Southeast Asia, these things always turn out great for everybody. In the Middle East, the last hundred years. Does that count as two? Or? No, no, no. That counts. That counts. That, uh, 
It was a borderline. It's not like the recording of the recording of the podcast, and you'd really see what's going on here. No, but it's that's why there's never going to be a regional peace deal Um, because it's not that any Arab Muslim is recognizing the philosophical foundations of Zionism. I think it's about a recognition of power. You don't have to recognize the fundamental. You know what I'm saying? That the, I mean, a you don't have to get to that to make a peace deal because we see that with the Egyptians and the Jordanians. Look, the United States has perfectly normal relationship with with Vietnam, which is now, which essentially the the South Vietnam that they tried to prop up in the war fell to the communist North Vietnamese, and America now has perfectly acceptable diplomatic relations Vietnam with Vietnam. Kind of evolved into that anyway. They're barely communist anymore. Uh, America, okay, but but they haven't renounced their identity, and America hasn't said we accept it. The the, the 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 communist foundations of South Vietnam of, of Vietnam, but America opened a relation with China. We don't have to accept your doctrine to normalize diplomatic relations with you. No, I. But I'm. I think it's just. Let's just let's just let's just savor that for a moment. <laughs> you said I, had, I made a good point. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm just enjoying it. I don't know. I don't think I'm worthy of you responding that way. To be honest, <laughs> I'm still Talmud. Let me enjoy it. Okay, you can enjoy it. Grandpa, um, <laughs> no, I. What's it? Just seems that Palestinians, though they never respond to Israeli power, and they seem to all the way that other Arab entities have. What do you mean? I'm not really sure what you mean. Like, as in, no, I'm trying to get my head around the idea that. Um, the let's, status, let's go back for a second. Remember, the status quo is. It's an open secret that Israel pro- is props up the Abbas administration right. and that if the, Israel wasn't supporting it. It's him. not secret. I mean, the, the, the all security is run by the Palestinian police and Israeli army. It's, it's exactly. a, absolutely a coordinated – Exactly, but you wouldn't see that in the newspapers, meaning it, 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 in the newspapers it seems like there's all this tension between Abbas and Netanyahu and they don't meet and all this. But the truth is Abbas is in there because of Israeli government propping it up and, Abbas, and the security coordination between the two sides. They don't meet to change the status quo because the status quo is in the interest of both leaders. Right. I don't know, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, 100%. And that and so that is going to be very difficult to break in any kind of peace talks. So you're saying on this particular issue of will the Trump administration be able to create progress uh, in changing the status quo to something more beneficial to Israelis and Palestinians, you're saying no, they will not. I'm saying it it's hard to see with these two leaders. Um, and and again, unless they're meeting secretly, tr- there seems to be a contradiction here between the you know let the two you know got let the two people work it out, but yet it seems like the Trumps is meeting with both sides separately. The the advisor, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, Trump is sending delegates to sort of prime the pump that we're yeah. going to get talks going so that we can get this going, even though even though. He said, I, I want this to come naturally from the region, which in itself is, is, is you can't do that. You can't say, you know, Sadat came to Israel and then America said, well, can we help you guys work that out? That's very different. Same way with Oslo. Oslo was lower level talks that got higher and higher and higher between the two sides. And then all of a sudden when it broke out into the open, it was like, oh, OK, now we need a big guy. We like need an adult in the room to help us, you know. Finalize mediate Clinton, and they bring in Clinton really as as the final piece, not as the negotiator. Because that was the adult, yeah, Bill Clinton. As if, right? You know, I mean, um, yeah, it's just the end of the story. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a very nothing for the Declaration of Principles except throw a nice party. 
Well, if you if you if it's if it's if the actors in the region are are it's their initiative, it has a very good chance of gaining something. Carter didn't like the way that uh, Begin and Sadat they negotiated behind his back. Right, but, but but and that's why it happened. That's exactly what Mike was saying. So hopefully that you know why is it in why so so we're all we're all uh, skeptical. Yeah. Where we don't think this is going to result in any change in the status quo. No, not this way, for sure not. And why? And why do we think it is in the interest of? Yeah, no, there's nothing for sure. But if we're making our educated guesswork, why do we think that it is not in a? Let's start with Abbas. Why is it not in his interest to sign a peace deal, which would lead to Israel withdrawing from the West Bank and a Palestinian state rising? It sounds on the surface. That the leader, the the president of the Palestinian Authority, that would be very much in his interest to get a state that he could be the leader of. Why is that not in his interest? Or his perceived self-interest. Well, because I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different details. One of the things is that the state that he would get is not what they believe is the state should be. <laughs> um, you only get it, one bite of the cookie. If it takes five bites to eat a whole cookie, you literally get one bite. It's like twenty percent of the twenty-two percent of the entirety of historic Palestine. Okay, but I'm not. I'm not. Again, even not even land in terms of control. Yeah, well, hold on, because I'm not convinced. Because if I was a boss, I could argue. I would say, well, better to be better to be the president of an actual state than of an authority, even if it's not everything I want. And I can still work towards the future, where one day I will have the whole thing. I mean, Palestinian leaders have never really been about getting a state of their own. They can have it today if they wanted. I, it's, I know you don't. Twenty-five years of negotiations between the Israelis and Palestinian representatives. There's always been opportunities for Palestinian statehood. I don't think they desire Palestinian statehood first and foremost as the number one goal. Um, they want the Jews out so that they can have all of Palestine. Listen, I, I'm a. I'm a Zionist, I'm a Jew, I'm born in California, I live in Israel, my understanding of politics, I don't know if it's then appropriate for me to then try and understand Palestinian politics and how their leaders come to certain decisions and everything I say and do is kind of interpreted by the fact, well, you know, I'm a Zionist and I think this is the land of Israel and I find that quite redeeming. That. Dude, we're all doing that. Yeah, That's yeah. What- no, so why like obviously it would seem from a practical perspective that yeah, it would be very good for a boss okay, we could have his own state and everyone would be happy with him. But if you're looking at polling of Palestinian society, I mean, about half, I think, support a two-state solution, but three-quarters say that the right of return is something to never give up on and the conflict's not over when you get a two-state solution until they liberate the entirety of the land. So if he gets a two-state solution and declares this the end of the conflict because that's the only way Israel would ever agree to it, he's a sucker and he probably gets assassinated or loses power. So it doesn't so he can, to be practical. He can, within Palestinian politics, accept a two-state solution as long as it's clear that he hasn't, resol- he hasn't given up on the Palestinian rights to control the whole thing. I think there's even a much more basic issue. I just don't think that, that that there's ever been a discussion of what they think is an offer of a state, quite honestly. I know from what we say, we, well, we've offered them a state. But from their perspective, Israel control. Israel control. Not even where's the map. Israel, Israeli control of the Jordan Valley, right? No military. You know, all those th- conditions that we put on, they're, they're in their mind, I think, that they say this is not a state. This is an advanced autonomy, right? Yeah. We're, That's what we offer. I know. That's my point. Oh, I just didn't lean in. Um, BB, <laughs> BB, but he even says that. He only says it in Hebrew, exactly. by the way. Medina minus. Exactly. Well, they understand Hebrew, obviously, yeah. and better than we understand Arabic. And and 
so like that's what I'm saying. I don't think they ever really when we say, well, we offered you a state from the, again, whether we whether we or not from their perspective, there's never been an offer of a state online, and there's no been no offer to solve the refugee problem. That again, from their perspective, guys, I think you're overthinking it. I think there's no infrastructure of state control. If the Israeli army pulls out, he's got a civil war on his hand. You've got Fatah split in two, currently fighting over who will take over when he's dead. You've got Hamas pushing to push out Hamas. You've got a civil war, and there's no reason to assume that he or his family will survive it. So the worst thing that could happen to him personally and his family and his friends is for the Israeli army to pull out of the West Bank. And so as soon as he signs a deal, which Europe, he either has to flee the country, but then why is that? But right, he loses his, but he loses his place in Palestinian. Uh, yeah. He's done. He's finished. He either has, he's done. He's finished. So why would he sign that deal? What about Bibi? We said it's not in Bibi's interest to change the status quo. Is that us being cynical? But I don't think we're overthinking. I think it's just another facet of it all. I think there's all different facets of it. Well, when I say you're overthinking it, of course you're right. I'm not disagreeing with any of your analysis. Uh, you heard what he said. Of course I'm right. <laughs> Savor it. <laughs> but what I am saying is there's something so basic that even if you could make a political – in other words, there's this sense of, well, if we can just convince Abbas that it is in their interest, and even if they look at it, da, 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 He's a dead man, so he won't sign that deal. Or he's a refugee. And you're right also. Look at this. We're getting along so well today. Oh, well, that's a boring <laughs> podcast. What about Bibi? We say the the current Israeli government doesn't think it's in their interest to sign that deal. Why is? Why do you think that? I mean, he'll just lose. He, loses, he won't have a government. Yeah. His government will fall. His government will fall. He's got, we, as, as they like to say in the papers all the time, the most right-wing government ever in Israel. I don't know if that's 100% true, but no, it's a very... Of course it's not true. But whatever, I don't know how you even decide it, but it doesn't matter. Because the government will certainly fall if he tries to sign a deal. Okay, um, but he could rebuild a coalition. But supposedly the Israeli majority wants a solution and wants to be out of con. His voter... The problem is, like, yeah, obviously he can bring in what they now call themselves the Machnezioni and form a coalition and have a center, center right government. But again, again, but it doesn't. The politics don't allow that to happen. I mean, Bibi only won power because he tilted to the right right before the election. I mean, most of his a good part of his voting base that brought him into power were these right-wing anti-two-state solution. Uh, even if the majority of the Likud, they probably are more ambivalent to the idea. Um, so I, I think I don't think BBC sees himself as a candidate for prime minister um, in the future if he you know, changes the, the coalition. And I would even go further. As much as BB is, you know, is a political animal, no one can deny that. I think ideologically, no matter what he said in the past about two-state solution, he doesn't really believe ideologically in two-state solution. He sees Jordan as Palestine, and and that there's no way is no way he's going to risk his legacy. Also, uh, to be, I think I think you're yeah. I think you're both right again, and I think you're both overthinking it again. Likud, I think no, but Likud leaders change all the time. Omert. But he doesn't want it to change because he's the leader. And I think he, I think nobody wants to be the prime minister who pulls two to 300,000 Jews out of their homes. I don't think he wants that on his legacy. And so he won't do it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, uh, I agree. I'm just looking at the visceral. But what if the corruption stuff becomes his legacy? Then he's got to pull something out of the right field here to change that, to change that story. More left field. Right. Oh, nice. (laughs) Is he going to go right or is he going to go left And as an, if he gets indicted for something? When he wags the dog to change the story. Or we are conjecturing so based on war or peace. Got to be something. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, behind the flag. 
I don't know. I just think that that people who are I, I let me put it this way. I don't think there will be peace as long as the people of both societies are pessimistic about a two state solution and the Israelis and Arabs are pessimistic about the possibility of a two state solution. I mean look, Oslo was a uh again depending on where you held on Oslo, but it was at least uh I don't know if I would call it euphoric, but it was a very a very, you know, Tuesday Tuesday solution is happening. It's coming. It's going to happen. And then when that fell apart with the second divide in 2000, it really, I think for both sides, leaving across who's blame and all that. So I think for both sides, it really, you know, put it in the grave and said this two state solution. For sure. It made the for sure. The Israeli side, it made the consensus. We have nobody to make a deal with. They don't want a deal and we give up on it. And I think the Palestinians also, as they saw, as they saw the idea of rolling back into Palestinian cities, and well, they also see they see continued Jewish growth and development in the West Bank, and they don't see their their population having space to grow. So they say there's no way to separate anymore. And uh, yeah, and you and you can't put can't you, as much as we like to, you know, explain it's a security barrier, this and that. When you live day in and day out within the the shadow of that, and and it becoming more and more difficult to um, you know go one from one place to another place, it, it's got to be depressing. Yeah, and it makes it causes despair. Yeah. Look, I wrote when I talk to Americans, it's my experience. And you guys can tell me if you have a different experience. It's my experience that Americans say, "So what are we going to do? What's the solution?" And 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 people who live here, I don't think that's a funny question if you're Israeli. Isn't it? It's like, what do you mean? There's no solution. This is the first, this, this unacceptable, intolerable status quo is the foreseeable future. And there is no our life. What are we having for dinner? That's a much more relevant question. But but we've, we've sort of, I I argue, and I'll, I'll put a link to the, to the blog post that I wrote. I think that, I think it's the five stages of Middle East grief that you have to go through denial and anger and bargaining and depression until you get to acceptance of the reality that Israelis and Palestinian Arabs have come to, which is this is the this is for the foreseeable future. There is no solution to this status quo. But for us Israelis, the reality is much more convenient than for Palestinians. No question is, about it. You know, and we have to be. I think when if you talk to an American, I say is okay. Convince Israeli voters that they should change the status quo, and it's going to be better for them. No, but I think, but I think, but I think it's because. But I think it's because Israelis have made better decisions than Palestinians, and I think what um, what people around the region and outside the region should say to the Palestinians: you have to make better decisions. Oh, create the story. create the infrastructure of a state, and everybody will declare it. But there's nothing to declare a state right now. If I grant you statehood, for what? You don't have the infrastructure of 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 government of a government of a real responsible governance so we can't declare you a state i think a status quo change that we could make is like china you know like how china you know is theoretically a communist country but change their economic country without communism at this point it went from it went from it went from like a communist dictatorship to a dictatorship that embraced a certain capitalist certain amount of capitalist structure capitalist structure yeah so i think that we can i think that maybe part of breaking of the status quo in a small way is in a in a slower way is israel investing in the economy of the palestinian don't let us do that like why is Bobby such a failure that's where and i'm saying that that's where that's where the emphasis has to be Resistance or collaboration? That's the way it's framed, I understand, in Palestinian society. Why does that have to be framed in that way? 
because that but I understand if I were a Palestinian I might frame it that way when when people say oh look what they did with SodaStream BDS they got us to close down a SodaStream that had Palestinians working there so all those Palestinians lost their job and now only Israeli Jews have those jobs no. well that in the, uh, in the Negev okay but the point is it's a, it's a when we portray that as a fail we portray that as BDS failing well BDS sees that as a success we've ended that level of collaboration I I I don't know how to convince Palestinians so not to see argues that. that they were building the fa- f- factory way before the whole BDS came on them, but I don't know. Yes. I, that, I mean, that's the... So, uh, it's a that's a detail that's not the issue. Teacher's lunch, though? So, um, in my class, we had a... Just before I came over here to do the recording, we had a Palestinian speaker from East Jerusalem. Don't say his name. I'm not going to. Um, but uh, I asked... Um, do you vote in the municipal elections? Because he's a resident, so he's allowed to vote for mayor or the city council. And he said, well, I don't have anyone to vote for. And then I asked, well, if the Arabs are 38 to 40% of Jerusalem residents and they all have a right to vote, um, why can't there just be someone in, in that society to say, I'm running for mayor, and just like the Haredim do in Jerusalem, they just vote for one guy, and then there could be an Arab mayor in Jerusalem, and they could really just change the situation to be much better than it is right now. And his his answer was like, well, hey, I mean, that does sound like a good idea, but we can't do that because then we are essentially recognizing your legitimacy in our part of the city, um, which is essentially saying, for me, resistance or collaboration, and they prefer to resist. Um, and live in squalor. I mean, that, it's just not... It's so painful to hear that because the system allows you to make it better for yourself. Um, and it, let's not frame it in collaboration or resistance, well, but rather how can we can make it better for each other. Yeah, but I, understand, I understand that view of you know, selling your soul. You're selling your soul for a nicer apartment, a better, better garbage removal. I think if I were a Jew living on the mandate, I might also frame it as resist, resistance or collaboration. Yeah. And I need a Jewish state. But what if you can work through the system to get what you want? I, I think I might be one of those guys who say, I, I, I will fight the system. Maybe. I mean, I just can't. I, I definitely would. Uh, well, you're, anti, you're anti-establishment, Alan. <laughs> Mike, I haven't pegged you yet. <laughs> um, you know, I guess I've had such an – like I live in a time of privilege. Yeah. Where I got to, you know, being very positive Jewish Jewish Zionist frameworks my whole life. I got to make Aliyah, serve in the army. I'm Israeli paying tax paying citizen, and like life's pretty good. And like I just see Jewish positivity all around in life in Israel. But if my end goal is a Jewish free state, and you're and you British mandate are making better roads no, and hospitals it. and schools, I have to work towards my end goal, even if that me- every revolution what works. for us. <laughs> no, but but every revolution works by short term. I'm going to suffer in 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 the law to get the long term game of independence. But you could get more if you get political power, then you can change the game. As in getting municipal, getting power of the Jerusalem municipality, it's the capital of the state of Israel. The what would happen there would be tremendous. I mean, just. 
that using that as a platform to fight against Zionism even. So, so let me help you with your public relations to convince the Palestinians to stop looking at it as resistance versus collaboration. Resistance by the ballot instead of by the bullet. And you can take over the country and destroy the state of Israel with ballots if you yeah. organize politically. Wow. Maybe that's the next strategy, you know, for what it was, you know, there's terrorism, internationalization, right? Abbas is all about the internationalization of the conflict. You know, what if you politicize 300,000 Arabs living in East Jerusalem and get them to go to the polls by the way the west bank we don't want to be part of an independent state we want to vote we want to be israeli and that that's bb's nightmare and i think if i were palestinian i would be fighting for that strategy and we see and that's a rising certain in the younger generation that's a rising in the polls is something where between 28 to 30 percent of palestinians um i think under 30 uh poll that way you know, give us equality, like the speaker who Benji had today. That, that's basically his thing. Forget it. Forget all that. Give me equality. And I'll take over the country that way. We don't need a Palestinian state. Just make us Israeli. And then give us time and we'll take over. BDS apartheid week argument, right? They talk about one like, – there's people that say one state, right? So well, just, If you take the toxicity out of doing it now because Israel's violent and all the no, no, BDS no, no. guards. Yeah. But anyway um, – That's how B- – that's the BDS plan to peacefully overthrow the state of Israel. Yeah. You're right. And Zionists don't have a great response to that. We can we can either maybe the next podcast I'll tell you what I say. All right, dun dun dun, cliffhanger. That's a pretty exciting. I I would like to hear that. Yes. All right. Well, but Benji has to go, so we'll have to record that a different time. Well, so was it better than you thought, Benji? You were worried we wouldn't have anything to say. You thought three Jews who can't keep their mouth shut. (laughs) Teachers. Teachers whose job it is to just wah, wah, wah. The worst thing, guys, we still need to it's get more sports female. Sports talk radio. I just realized we talked about it before we put on the recorder. It's just sports talk, you know, just jabbering and talking. Because uh, I really, because I said, why are we talking about the Trump peace plan? Like, that, that's nothing. There's nothing to talk about. But, you know, we had a pretty good combo. I thought so. Well, thanks so much, Benji. Thank you. And thanks so much, Alan. Toodaloo. And bye-bye, everybody. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, You can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at juisraelgap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And... If you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.